Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is DTC Growth Hacking with Rob McGray. Brought to you by Field Test. Advertising Simplified. I'm Rob McGray, and you're listening to DTC Growth Hacking presented by Field Test. Field Test is an advertising platform that makes programmatic ads simple and accessible to everyone. I hope everyone's having a great week. Today, I'm very excited. We're talking to a friend of mine and former colleague and uh, founder who's here in LA with me. Um, his name is Ross Ingram. And uh, I think we've known each other, Ross, what is it, half a decade, uh, six, seven years? Something like that. Yeah. It's, um, we did like the Sphero Star Wars stuff, what, in like 2013 or 14? Yeah, I think it was so. 14. And then, and then the year I was in Colorado with you guys was 15. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then you came, did you came to LA like right after that, like maybe 17? Cause you did some time, you went from Sphero to Google, right? Yeah. I moved to LA in 2000, uh, 2007, early 2017. And then was working out of your, your office with you and the rest of the team, uh, over in, uh, Atwater village. Yeah. It's Ross, one place. of the, one of the things that, that I really like and enjoy about you is your kind of fearlessness to go into almost any area. And, uh, you know, I'm going to speak directly about Ross from six years ago for a second, because I know that you've, you've done a lot, you've had a lot of experiences since then and, and achieved a great deal. But I really appreciated your ability to just jump into any situation, um, you know, without really knowing what was going to happen. And, and make it your own. And one of the things that was super impressive at Sphero was how you kind of wore two hats during our, our time working together. You wore the hat of what I would define kind of influencer marketing kind of expert in figuring out, um, you know, kind of like off the beaten trail types of ways to market Sphero's products directly to consumers through the various connections that you were making. But you also had a, a passion uh, for education. And I, and if, if, if memory serves me right, it was essentially you and, and Jim Booth who were the entire education department at Sphero. And now today, I, I think Sphero is 100% an education company. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> on, on the, the education stuff, like everybody, I think, had a lot of hands in it. And, um, you know, the, I know early on it, uh, this I was when I was running Sphero's developer program, right? we wanted to get the idea at the time was let's get more sort of app developers and people to build creative games and things like that, because um, we had our open sourced, um, we had opened up the low level API and to give it to developers because there was only so much that we had the capacity to build. And um, I remember we we did all these hackathons with like AT&T and like BMW and all these other groups. And at some of the events that we did ourselves, we started to see more kids and teachers and parents show up. And I, I think that was sort of uh, the precursor for, well, I think there's something interesting here in that mm -hmm. we have an awesome, fun, relatable robot that's not it's not overbearing right you don't got a bunch of parts mm -hmm. you got to put together and you know is able to um, demonstrate these sort of technical concepts in a fun relatable way and so that i that was sort of the you know the hackathon stuff i think led into this idea around well what if we 
built some structure and curriculum and stuff around. Yeah, yeah, and just to, and to take a to to set some context, one of the one of the methods that Sphero used to build its popularity was to put tools in the hands of of as Ross said, developers who could go out and you know enhance the product, but at the same time, evangelize the product. And I can't tell you how many times it still happens to me where if I tell someone that I, I used to work at Sphero, that they had some project that they did, you know, in some museum or, or some kind of thing where they took X number of Spheros and made them do something. Right. Yeah. And I think that was, that's what you kind of helped create in those early days. And I just want to, to go back there for a minute and talk about like you're, you're coming into the world of Sphero with an IT background. Um, you, you know, you like systems, you like solving problems. When do you realize that, that basically the key to the success of this product that nobody knows is to, you know, kind of unleash it on the world in a way that allow, that allows people to do whatever they want to do with it. I, I, at the time, I don't know if I really had like any coherent strategy in my mind. I think, I was just, you know, I'd always been interested in technology and specifically like robotics and operating systems. Um, you know, there's the the whole story that you probably don't got to get into now, but like I was so but like driven to learn about, about computers that, you know, I stole that computer when I was in high school and got in a lot of trouble. But I, I think it was just, um, you know, fast forward to the stuff at Sphero, we had this amazing, um, fun Thing. And we also had this team and uh, I think this brand that we were building. And um, I, I always, I guess, viewed myself and even still today, like I think if you give people the, the right tools and the right context and the right framing, you sort of enable them to do new and creative things that, that sort of help them in, in, in their own ways. Um, yeah. 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 No, I, I, I think I just, uh, I remember, I remember you also being the person who was always up for going to any type of awards show to collect a reward, a, a, an award. Do you remember those? I was like, I think I was like 20. I like didn't have a girlfriend. I, we did that one of the years we did like, I want to say like, there was a hackathon like almost every week. And so I was always going to like New York and to like Texas and all these different places. And I, I think, you know, I, I was thankful and excited for the opportunity that sort of the leadership gave me to just have that freedom and flexibility to go pursue and sort of explore my curiosity um, and sort of do that in hand in hand with this, with this robot. And I think what inevitably started to show up is, well, if we give Ross sort of the freedom and flexibility to do these new and interesting things, like he's going to deliver, right? And, you know, another thing, <laughs> another one of the ones was uh, the campaign we did with Zach Braff. And mm -hmm. at the time, uh, he had, Zach Braff had this, I was a fan of Garden State, right? And um, he had this Kickstarter where he was going to get his new movie funded. Um, I think it's called Wish I Was Here. And I had this idea in my mind, it's like, we're going to back it. We're going to get you know, Sphero at the time, this is before all the BB-8 stuff, we're going to get Sphero in the movie, right? How cool would that be? And so I spent, I put, <laughs> they had this level that was like seven or $8,000 and I just put it on the company credit card and <laughs> I got in a lot of trouble at the time because it was the biggest single line item that we'd ever did. And it was sort of like a, well, there's no guarantee, yeah. um, but sort of fast forward several months and, you know, we won an award for it. Like we, got um you know zach became a huge fan of the product and the bb8 products and he tweeted about it and we got a bunch of his fans to come to sundance and walk the red carpet and it was just a really great and we sold a bunch of robots too and so it was a, yeah. one of those things where i don't know i feel like i've had always had a good gut and intuition with this stuff and you just gotta follow that yeah, I remember you had it you had a, and I, I don't know if you still talk to him but you had a relationship with uh brent Spiner as well, right? Yeah. Commander that was, Data. Uh, yeah. I, um, 
I, I can't remember. I So I met Brent Spiner through like a friend of a friend and obviously he was a fan of Star Trek. And, um, you know, I can just had this like weird idea around, well, what if Brent uh, could help us like promote some of this stuff? And where that sort of ended up is we actually had him do the voiceover of the Sphero 2.0 application. And it was kind of like one of those interesting little Easter eggs. There was a couple of people who like would tweet out like, wait, is this Brent Spiner doing the voice? And um, we, we, had a, we had a fun time like recording with them. He also was sort of like, I guess, like an ambassador. Uh, he introduced me at like Comic-Con and sort of this whole panel. And so we, we did a bunch of stuff together and he was just yeah. an awesome person to work with. And Right. So, I, so yeah, again, yeah, just thankful for all the people who were like, well, these ideas sound weird, but I think, I think they're going to pay off. And they did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you're kind of, you were kind of the untraditional marketing guy. Did, at, at, at some point, did you realize you'd become an, a marketer? I, guess, I mean, I was in, I was in the marketing department, I guess, but the stuff that I was doing, I, I felt like, you know, was beyond, I guess, traditional marketing. Cause you know, you give me like a, a budget to do traditional ad advertising stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. Like, this is boring. Um, but you give me like, hey, here's $25,000. Let's go see how many, you know, people we can get to evangelize the product. Or, you know, just give mm -hmm. me some creative constraints. And I, I just had a ton of fun thinking up interesting new ideas. And I think there was also some um, serendipity in all this, too, that you sort of have to, uh, you just have to be open for. And you sort of have to try to wind yourself up for the, the serendipitous events that happen. Um, even like the, the Obama thing, right? Getting Obama to play with the robot. Um, when he came to Boulder, that was like a right place, right time. You couldn't plan, you can put, can't put that in sort of a marketing plan. <laughs> right. You just sort of have to show up and be prepared. And you know, that it ended up getting Apple to call us back and say, Hey, actually we want to put it in the Apple store. And, um, and all the news that circulated around that. So, do you think do you think you'd be? Um, I don't want to call you at that time reckless, but do you think you'd be quite so aggressive today? Uh, you know, I've I think as I've grown up a bit, and also have had more. Um, I don't want to say like responsibility because I'm, you know, CEO of a company now and we have like 15 employees and there's, I think a lot more just traditional business stuff that you got to do um, when you're in that role. At that time, I think I had the luxury of having air cover, right. Having someone take care of the traditional marketing and the traditional PR so that I could go, um, you know, do the new fun, exciting, interesting things. And, my, I, I, you know, as, as we get into the next phase of my company now with Maslow, I'm super excited to turn on those old skills and, and activate them. We have some cool stuff that we're starting to plan now. Um, but I also see that my roles sort of changed in that, like, I, I can't just be the linchpin anymore to activate all this stuff. I got to build a team around me that also, you know, um, complements my skill set and, and can, you know, contribute their own new ideas. Yeah. I, I ran into a situation recently where, um, you know, I, I kind of come from the, a similar school of thought on marketing where, you know, I, I get the, the programmatic and I get the, the traditional ad buys that, that can properly, that you can properly predict the results from. And I know that, there's a lot of safety in being able to go out there and spend money with known or assumed known return on investment. Yeah. And the stuff that, that you're talking about right now and the stuff that, that really excites me about marketing is very hard to predict, right? You right. don't know, you, you just don't know what the return's going to be. And the, what I loved about the work we were doing together is that a certain part of that entire marketing spend was cut off and allocated to this kind of no man's land unknown effort that 
we didn't even like consider what the return was going to be because we had covered it in other areas. It became very much a, you know, a, an added bonus if, if it was successful in some way. And, and I, that really doesn't fly with a lot of folks, a lot of, you know, people running companies and making those hard decisions, you know, they want some sort of guarantee. And so I think it actually, it hurts companies when they're not willing to, to take those risks and go out and try to do that type of work because they're just kind of doing what everybody else is doing. Right. Right. I, I, I think that the, it's, you know, my, my role sort of evolved into being a community manager at Sphero. And at the time, this, this idea of, you know, even the community industry in general, uh, in general, was very ambiguous. Like, is it marketing? Is it product? Is it customer support? Is it something else? And I, I was just lucky to learn a bunch from people like um, David Spinks, uh, who ran the CMX blog. And, you know, he, he spent a lot of time with me, a lot of like unpaid time, even of like, yeah. Hey, here's how to think about community building. Hey, here's how you can surface some of these metrics to your executives so that they can get it in a more tangible way. Because, yeah, it, you know, early on it was like, well, we have these interesting programs, but how do they actually deliver to the bottom line? And I, I do believe that, you know, this this idea of community is it's sometimes hard to articulate the value early on, but the long tail value. I mean, it, it it's what separates sort of companies that are a drop in the pan or whatever the expression is to the ones that are actually mm. going to stick around for a long time yeah. um, is that advocacy and the evangelism and the excitement and the, and i think ultimately the way that you empower the people that you know revolve around your your brand and your um you know w- what you're trying to create yeah i think another part of it like knowing you um you know the last time I think we saw each other in person was at JSLA, which is a, a, a JavaScript meetup, um, you know, yeah. that our friend David Gutman does. And, and it's yeah. quite successful. Um, and I remember going and seeing you there and, and, it, and, and it reminded me of your stories about, you know, being a part of, you know, the Android community and, you know, this idea of embedding yourself in these worlds, because that's where you were going to make your connections. And that's where you were going to learn how to evangelize your own product in, in, in a, in a safe, comfortable way, um, for someone like you. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I had like my first, even before this year of stuff, like my community building, um, skills, you know, I started building the Boulder Android meetup group. And I think at the time I was like 20, 21 or something. Our first one was like at a Pete's coffee in Boulder. And I was like, this is loud. Like nobody can talk to each other. It's miserable. And, um, but it was, you know, a fun way to try to get people together and to talk about the things that we actually care about. And, um, it, you know, um, you, you're always going to find these, like, I guess, hubs of interest and, you know, people want to belong. They want to, develop themselves either professionally or you know personally and um yeah it's i i I think it's going to continue to grow and uh, be sort of the de facto because the other thing too is you can't really fake it like i think you can kind of fake um adwords spend like you can say our thing like it's like okay cool but you can't really fake like going to a meetup or like hanging out with people and just sort of like talking about the stuff that you care about. Like it, it, it comes through in the way that you talk about it. And and I think people really connect and resonate with that. Yeah. Do you know, do you know the product called parallels? It's like a, it's a, it's an emulator for, for OS 10. Are you familiar with the yeah. product? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> I used to use it and I had some problems like activating or something and their support is basically a Twitter bot. And no matter what you say to this Twitter bot, its first response is, could you give me more details? Like in a tweet, by the way, could you give me more details in a tweet so that we can better serve you? And I, the other, yesterday, in fact, I, 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 I ditched the product a while ago because I just, I could never activate something right. Um, maybe it was the Parallels toolbox or something. I can't remember. It just didn't work. And so I was on there and I noticed that if you go to their their 
their their account, it's basically that like times a hundred. And everyone's response is like, why are you talking to me with a bot? Like this is Twitter. And it yeah. just it it it, it in, in 2021 that people don't know the difference between, you know, community and broadcast. And what we talk a lot about on the podcast is the power of the community and the power of actually having conversations and talking to someone and not just talking at a group of people. And it's just mind blowing that companies still don't quite get this, or at least parallels doesn't, but I know lots don't. (sighs) Rush, you go from, you go from basically, you know, what I will call renegade marketing and you go to work at Google, which I would call anything but renegade. Um, Google to me, and and this might be an unfair assessment, is an incredible ad product, an ad business that is just beyond anything anyone could imagine, that prints money like nobody's business and has a lot of interesting hobbies that they try, right? That make no money. <laughs> Yeah. You know? And so you go to work on one of these hobbies, I take it. And and what is the experience like going from, you know, this this kind of grassroots aggressive renegade marketing to now you're at, in big corporate doing one of the hobbies? I mean, it was a it was a whole different skill set. Like I went from, you know, doing Sphero, did that for five years and um, you know, had a lot of successes, learned a lot, and um I was sort of like ready to try something new. And I'd met some folks in this group at Google called the Advanced Technology and Projects Group. It's sort of like an R&D Skunks Works lab um, led by, at the time, um, Regina Dugan. She had ran DARPA for a while, then went to Motorola and, you know, was running, running ATAP. And so the, the way it was positioned to me was like, hey, there's Google and then there's ATAP. We're sort of this autonomous group of scientists, engineers, marketers, just creative people. And we have a bunch of different projects um, that we're working on. Let's go make some cool stuff. And I think where I was excited and, you know, where I continue to be excited in my own professional career is this idea of creating new markets and creating new categories of products and services and you know, a lot of the stuff that we were making, you know, what we did at Sphero was we created this market of connected play, right? Best Buy was like, we don't know where to put these robots. Let's put them with the Bluetooth speakers. So we had to educate Best Buy on, you know, how to, how to market this, how to talk about it. Um, and then same thing at Google. We were at the time I was working on um, mostly Project Aura, which was this modular based smartphone it was going to have all these accessories and things like that. And um, th- there was a big question around, well, who's the audience for this? It was going to be a thousand dollar smartphone. Um, who's the audience for this? Like, how do we position it? Um, how do we get that adoption? And I, I think that that's where I really get excited is, is sort of that convergence of something that's an entirely new type of technology mixed with, well, we think there's an audience out here. How do we, how do we find them and get them to cross paths so that they that they make stuff? But yeah, the, the one of the biggest specific my my budget I think at, at the end of when I was Sphero was like under a million bucks, like is you know two hundred thousand to like eight hundred thousand dollars or something like that, like mixed across a couple of different programs. And when I went to Google, the budget for like one project would be like sixteen million dollars. And so I remember going through the process of like. Cause they were very bottoms up, you know, budget yeah. like, Hey, we're going to go market this thing. Like how much money do you need? I was like, I don't know, $10. Like, <laughs> yeah. we, but, but when you sort of have, I think for, for me, the, the creative constraints are good. Um, there were different types of creative constraints at, at, at Google that I, I think I had to learn and understand. And, um, but uh, yeah, it was it was fun. Ultimately, I you know left and just had this deep desire to go start Maslow and sort of define this new category of what we call companions. But um, yeah, and so fun. and 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 just you know, just so so I understand. So you you're coming off you come off the Sphero experience, which and by the way, connected play is a brilliant 
um, category name that I always thought that was, that was really smart. Um, but you, you come off of that, you, you spend some time focused on, um, modular phones and, and then you decide that, that, you know, and, and I kind of know the story, but I'll, I'll, I won't, I won't, um, spoil it, but you decide that there's something missing. Like what is, what is the thing that you feel is missing at this point? You know, the, uh... When we were making, and specifically the the BB-8 droid um, at Sphero, I think what really fascinated me was we would sell this $150 robot that didn't actually really like do anything transactional, but had all this sort of mythology of Star Wars, had all this sort of um, ideas around sort of play and and like the magic that you would see on people's faces from, you know, like a eight year old kid all the way up to, you know, 86 year old person, like there was something special there. And, you know, I I always thought like, well, what if more of our technology had that surprise and delight and in a way that wasn't just purely transactional, Right. In a way that encouraged curiosity and play and exploration and stuff like that. And I, you see a lot of this within like, you know, gaming and, and, and stuff like that. But it, I think it's been really slow to come into the more traditional worldviews of how we think about like SaaS software, or productivity software and stuff like that. So the short version of it is, you know, I was like, well, what if. What if we built these companions, these interactive beings that were there to help people grow, express themselves, have fun? You know, a companion is not a transactional thing where it's like, turn my lights on and off, but it's more of a, a thing where you can say, what do I want to become? You know, who do I want to be when I grow up? I need help with X, Y, and Z. And that, that's sort of the, our North Star is, you know, what if Pixar built Siri? What if Pixar built sort of this uh, assistive, dynamic, playful, interactive software? Yeah. So, you know, the way, the way I always think about it is that what you're describing is, is a friend, but what we've been presented with so far have been employees. And what I mean by that is Siri works for me. Siri doesn't have an opinion on anything just tries to, tries to give me what I ask for. Right. Right. And, and very poorly, in fact, and, and never knows what I'm saying when it comes to dictation, which I I am very surprised that it's that bad. Google assistant is, is very much the same way. It's a walled garden where maybe I can get it to do what I want, but there's a bunch of integration that I have to do with the works with Google stuff and, and it's hit or miss and maybe it'll work or maybe it won't depending on you know, the robustness of whoever's API. That to me is utility, 100%. When you talk about Maslow and when I look through the website and when I, when I think of it, it, to me, it, the the companion translates to a friend and a relationship and a relationship Mm -hmm. not built on necessarily you working for me or what you do for me, but a relationship built on, you know, compassion and, and a word you like to use is empathy, like it's a true friendship. And, and what we do together, what we can do together. Um, sometimes I think when people think about AI, there's this common, like the machines are going to take our jobs and, you know, stuff like that, which I think there are areas of, you know, automation where we can begin to abstract humans away from that stuff. But, but our, our whole thing is, well, you have the, the power of technology, transformer learning, you know, that stuff. And we have sort of the creativity and the expressivity of, of humans. Like, well, what if we put those together in sort of a mutually beneficial way? Imagine how much further we can go to, together with this technology that, again, is is optimized for a, a person's, you know, own needs and is optimized for sort of that that aspects of play and curiosity and exploration. Do you think anybody has an idea that this is, and, I, and I'm, I'm not saying that people don't know who Maslow um, are, but Maslow is relatively new in the grand. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In scheme of things... We've been presented with so much technology that is not friendly, that is not about shared experience, that is so much about that utility aspect. Do you think that people even know that anyone's thinking about this? Like the, the general consumer, do they even have any idea? Uh, we did a, we published a study and in, in I think it was in the psychology, psychology robots, ro- robotics of psychology or something like that journal. Um, like, share the link, but we did a study with the University of British Columbia and the study was around this idea. It's called mind perception. It's basically how people perceive other people, inanimate objects, robotics. And it was pretty fascinating that a couple, a couple things that we learned was um, one that the more exposure a person has to technology in general, um, the more likely they're going to trust it. Which sort of like makes sense on like a human human level. Like if you and I work together for five years, ten years, like we're going to have a shared vocabulary. We're going to trust each other. Um, the other thing that we learned was that under the age of thirty, and very even more significantly between the ages of thirteen to to nineteen, they sort of already expect and anticipate. Um, that the technology is alive and is personal to them. And um, it's, it's the same thing, I think, that what happened in, and we're going to see with sort of these companions and personal experiences that happened with like social media in that social is now sort of like table stakes, right? Uh, younger audiences expect a game, a product, a service to have social elements in it, right? Otherwise, they're, they're not going to be interested and they're not going to use it. And so I, we've seen these sort of paradigm shifts or these epochs or however you want to talk about it with like the movement from command line interface to, you know, the GUI computer, the movement from sort of a standalone computer to, you know, mobile the movement from, um, uh, you know, processing things on your local device to, you know, the power of all the computers and, um, I think this is just the next change in that, in that, you know, these entities are going to be here and you're going to build a relationship with it and it's going to be mutually beneficial. Hmm. I like that. I, 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 I bring this up a lot, but I believe that, that uh, the main three technology drivers around the internet have been, um, I'd start with games or gaming which, you know, it, the, the, the need for faster, specifically GPUs, 
um, to play games at higher refresh rates and, uh, you know, just a better overall game experience somehow led to, you know, the crypto revolution with, you know, these same processors or minting coins left and right, which is really interesting to me. The, I, I tend to think that it wasn't the big media studios that, that pushed for bigger pipes. Um, because honestly, I think most entertainment companies were perfectly content with the, you know, the, the windowing system and cable television deals that they had in place. And I think actually they're probably making less money now. Uh, so it wasn't them that were going out in like pushing, you know, Verizon or AT&T or whoever to like drop, you know, light up all that fiber. Like th- that wasn't, that wasn't their thing. I think it was actually the pornography industry that drove to bigger pipes and faster speeds. And I can remember being like a, a, a very young person on like a bulletin board service, downloading my first like nudie pick. And it took like an hour and a half to get like a, to get like a, a GIF. And it was like ridiculous. Um, and you're just yeah. waiting line by line for this like nudie pick to come in and look at it now. And there's uh, what seems to be infinite amounts of, of pornography that you could get your hands on at, at really high speeds. And the third, and, and this is something that I don't, I don't know if people really like really dive into, but the internet for good or for bad was built on a freemium model, which was that you can have all this great content. You can have access all of these sites for the most part without paying anything, but it's going to be, sponsored or branded there there's advertising that powers it and we talk about this this ugly internet that we've created but the internet has provided so many amazing things to all of us and someone had to pay the bill because if you think about like what does it cost you to be on the internet you know you've got whatever type of phone plan you have and you know maybe you've got like i don't know fiber or cable at your house and then you know, maybe you've got like three things that you pay for and everything else is free and in the open web because someone's paying for it. And you're making this trade, this exchange, which is basically, I'll watch your ad and give you some information about me and I get to access all this stuff. And so I think that, you know, I don't, I'd like to think that all this cool, like, Siri kind of mobile tech kind of assistant stuff actually has done a fairly good job of setting the stage for what will ultimately become these companion experiences. And if we look to science fiction, for example, who somehow do a great job of predicting or designing the future, I just think of like, you know, HAL 9000. When did, when did 2001 come out? It's like sometime in the 60s, right? Late 60s. But we already, we had it, you know, it it was already there. It was predicted. We saw what that was going to be like when artificial intelligence could have, you know, and, and in this case, it was a little bit sinister, but, but a relationship with a human being. And I, I've always felt that that my relationship with my phone is not a relationship. If you gave me a different phone and I just like downloaded whatever I needed to download, I wouldn't even know the difference. Like yeah. I wouldn't, if it was the same OS, I don't know. I don't have any personal connection to this phone. I'm not going to be nostalgic for it. I don't know how many right. phones I've even owned. Like I don't right. even know, you know? Yeah. They're faceless. Yeah, I, and I, I, you know, the the team and I at Mazda, we we do try to like, because it's hard. It's we try to reject some of these closely held assumptions around the internet and around even like our business models. And when you, when you start to, um, you know, work the problems from a, just a different lens, a different philosophy, like a different brand, you know. And at Sphere, we've always talked about like humans first, experience second, technology third. Like that's carried over into into mm-hmm. how we think about this stuff at Maslow. And um, you know that I, I do believe that we're going to see just because you know just general consumer privacy, whether it's through government regulation or just through like the creepiness factor. I, I think there's going to just be more um, interest in you know people owning their own data and people in 
in sort of, you know, paying for what actually provides value. And we're, I, I don't think there's like a tried and true, you know, investors are always, even the folks you work with are always looking for a simple business model. And I, I think with this sort of end of the advertising age, I think there's always going to be ads, right? But, and this new shift into personal digital um, relationships, there's going to have to be a way to account for that and also do it in a way like, it's a very rudimentary example. Like if I'm like, I'm sad and a companion's like, well, here's $5 off at Ben and Jerry's. Like that's a betrayal of like a traditional human relationship, you know, human to human. And so we, we, we just got to begin to reinforce these human norms of interaction inside of our digital technology. And I, I we've, yeah. you know, we've, like you said, we've romanticized this relationship with, uh, these computing systems for in entertainment for forever. You know, I remember back when I was playing my, I had a Nintendo hand me down Nintendo 64 and was playing Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. You're playing this hero and you had this little fairy companion that was sort of there to help you target there with sort of advice, encouragement and played like a, you know, it wasn't the main character, but played a very important role and helping that hero, that character, go through their journey, go through their life, and and that you know that I think that served as a basis of the inspiration. But you know you see that with you know Luke Skywalker and R two D two and Ray and BB eight and um, in a more, more romantic sense with um, her, uh, you know, in the movie Her. And so I think there's this precedent for that. Humans are social. We desire to connect that relationship and maslow is the company that's doing the hard work to understand those boundary conditions and and build that technology i've always thought that the best marketing happens when the the brand or the company or the agency really embraces the concept that the consumer is the hero right and, and if you, you know, and we talk about a lot on this podcast, in fact, the, you know, that, you know, if, if, you know, if the product is, is Obi-Wan Kenobi, then the consumer is definitely Luke Skywalker, right? And they're helping them along that hero's journey. Where, where I think it gets interesting from, from in putting on my marketing hat for a minute is that in a human relationship, if, you know, if, if we were roommates and I was out at the store um, doing whatever, and then I was hungry, and I picked up like a, a chicken salad, and I grabbed one for you and brought it home and said, hey, man, just I figured you'd be hungry. I picked you up a chicken salad. I know you like this chicken salad, right? Because I know you. I'm your roommate. I know that right. you get hungry around this time. I know that you don't like you know, the, the pasta on it, so I ordered it the way you liked it. Now, if I was a digital companion and I had the same knowledge and I did that, do you think that that is breaking the trust? You know, because, <clears throat> because in this case, you, you said Ben and Jerry's, right? But what if I, I, just, I just ordered you the salad? <laughs> I, the way that we think about this, that this is there's, um, there's some research around how we build relationships as humans. Um, one of them is called Levenger's. I think it's called Levenger's um, stage. Um, but it basically, we, we do things around like social identity theory where we categorize different relationships, whether it's familial, platonic, you know, professional, romantic. Um, and there is some, uh, they call them behaviors or antecedents in the way that we sort of reinforce those types of relationships. And so the way that we've thought about this at Maslow is you, you have to, um, allow the human and the, the companion, the digital system, however you want to talk about it, they have to go through a co-learning and co-creation process together. They have to do some low consequence things that begin to um, create that trust, begin to create those boundary conditions around the relationship. Then once you get to a point where a certain level of trust has been engendered in that relationship, you know, the, the idea of, you know, 
going on your behalf and getting you a salad or something. It's, it's not alien. It's like, Oh, like, I really appreciate that. Like, thank you. And uh, the more transparent you can be around just even the companion explaining itself, Hey, here's how I work. Hey, here's what I do with all your data. You can delete any of it. I think the more transparency that we put in, you know, Maslow's system, at least it just creates that trust and um, it'll, our, we just think it'll help build better relationships with technology. And I also think this is also convergent too with the fact that, gosh, we got a lot of challenges in the future. And uh, I, I think that humans will continue to ask themselves bigger questions around what is it, what is it that you want to do with your life? Like, do we really need a bunch of people, you know, working fast food restaurants? It's not saying that there's anything wrong with those jobs, but what if, what if we could elevate more people and give them more um, creativity and expressivity in their personal and professional lives? Um, and I think that's going to be a, a byproduct of this relationship that we're, we hope to achieve with um, people in there and their companions. Yeah. I just, I, I think back to, um, you mentioned the movie Her and and it's been a little while since I've seen it, so I might have this slightly wrong, and I apologize. To you, you, I, I had watched it. You told me to watch it without the uh, <laughs> just listen to it the first time, and I did. But uh, I, I remember that you know she takes some liberties and submits a bunch of his letters to a to a publisher. Right? She kind of does it on her own accord. I mean, he was never going to do it, right? And. And uh, they are super interested in the book. And I think it actually gets published. It becomes like a thing. Yeah. And like that liberty that she takes, but it's, she doesn't do it right away. She's building that relationship. And that, you know, I mean, the movie is, 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 is so powerful in so many different ways, right? I think it's one of the best oh, scientific, uh, science fiction movies that is really about humanity. Yeah. And it is, both depressing and wonderful the entire time, you know? And, and so I, I just wonder about like, cause now I'm, I'm just stuck on this trust factor because I don't, you know, we are presented with these companies that it feels like they go out of their way to make you not trust them. And, and the, the best example of that would be Facebook that like, like, you know, their brand is don't trust us. You know, and I'm not saying that we should or we shouldn't. It's just they've just they've established that they're the brand not to trust, right? And I think Google have done a better job of of appearing to be more trustworthy. Um, I don't know if they actually are. I mean, that "don't be evil" was their motto at some point. But but I guess my point is these big players, and and I think of all of them just to step back for one second, probably Apple has like the most trust factor because they have, you know, they, their business model is they sell hardware, right? They don't sell data, right? They don't collect and sell data and use it to sell you other things. They actually, they make their money off, you know, the, the premium priced devices that we buy and throw out in a year. So that's a really good business for them like filling landfills is their business. But, you know, I, I just, I, I wonder who's going to come in and establish real trust because it's going to be really hard for these players. Like, you know, I know history is written by, by the victors, but it's going to be hard for them to reverse decades in some cases of, of kind of sinister behavior. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I mean, by average consumer perception, they see, you know, especially Facebook and Google and even Amazon to an extent that um, they make money off of selling people stuff, right? Which is fine. I don't like, I love to buy stuff. But um, again, that the the expectations around the consumer and the, the level in which they want to be assistive and that relationship is it's going to be really hard for them to taken in an entirely different direction because they essentially have to throw away their business model. And so I do think um, if anyone were to do this, it would be an Apple, but I, th there's just a lot of challenges around how you design these systems. And um, 
I, I do think it'll come from sort of a new player that mm-hmm. really has to be strong in their principles, in their you know ways that they conduct their business, their business model, and the transparency around their business and sort of everything they do. And my, my co-founder uh, Russell, um, he's you know, experienced you know as part of like a IPO and sold and closed companies before and. Was he, he part of a Wolfram, Wolfram Alpha? Is that was he involved Wolfram, with them at all? Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. one of the, the first employees at Wolfram Alpha. So worked with Stephen Wolfram on. He's went to University of Chicago, studied mathematics and theater, right, performing arts. And so it's this really, it's really div- diverse, creative. Um, after the True Car IPO, he was like, "I'm going to go learn how to paint. I'm going to go paint on the beach." So he became a an artist and started a school with his wife and, but he'd always said early on in, in, in Masley's like, you, you got to be careful about what you get good at. Cause you may end up do, doing it for the rest of your life. And we've had some instances where we could have said, Oh, let's go arbitrage data for some sort of business model that, you know, going to make a shit ton of money, but we could never get there because it was just so against our values and our brand and our philosophy that um, it was an easy no, even though we're turning away all this money. And I, yeah. I think that, you know, it's really easy, I think, for companies to do like a fast follow and you can sort of assume technology is going to get smaller and more efficient and stuff like that. But I think the hardest part is just the brand aspect and the philosophy. Like going back to what we were talking about with community, you can't fake it. <laughs> like either yeah. you care about, this community and, and, and the passion and it, or, or you don't. And there's always obviously challenges and learnings along the way, but um, I think that's, that's just the nature of innovation. Ross, it seems to me that one of the things that maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously, I don't know that you've done is you've created um, with your team, a product that somewhat plays the role that you've played in the projects you've been a part of. I think of Maslow now after talking to you for, you know, 50 minutes or so of Maslow being something that can be inserted into various communities because it can have relationships and build trust. The same way that you ran that Android thing, the same way that you, you know, went to the recording studio and hung out with Brent Spiner or, you know, donated money to Zach Braff's GoFundMe or whatever it was. Like, you know, this idea that that you you're capturing the spirit of yourself in a way and packaging it up and making it available to individuals. And I, I think that the, the, the battle that you are going to face and, and very soon, I think it's going to be sooner than you think. And you've mentioned that it's already occurred is once people realize what you've done, they're going to want to use that in ways that you did not intend to use it, you know? And unfortunately some of those ways are going to have incredible monetary, you know, repercussions, you know, mm-hmm. meaning they could make you a lot of money. And I think this is going to, your, your success is going to be a challenge when you have to face these decisions. Because think, remember what I said about this phone? Like, I don't, I don't give a shit about this and I don't really trust it. But what if this becomes something that I listen to? that has real influence on my decisions, right? Because sure, I trust it to give, present me with a map. I don't even trust it to tell me which way to go because I know how Waze works. Like I don't, it's not telling me what's good for me, right? It's telling me some kind of algorithm that spit out that, hey, we, we should send you down this road where there's no light and you're going to sit there for a while because we just don't give a shit about you, you know? Yeah. and. So, so I think once that is, that chain is broken and I believe that the, the, the digital companion cares about me, then I'm ready for anything. I'm yeah. ready to take any type of recommendation or if you want to buy me a salad and, and, and it just shows up great, but that is, that is a, a powerful tool. Yeah. 
I mean, we we think so too. I mean, it's obviously like well, I've been spending the last four, almost five years on this. Like it's um, and and I think that the it was even harder to talk about this stuff like in the early days around like a companion and like what does that mean? What does it do for me? And um, I don't know. I just I just always sort of relate this back to like the journey of even of any artist, right? You sort of have to you have to write. You got to paint. You gotta you gotta paint every day. And for us, it's this interesting mix of design, writing code, talking to people, and um, what falls out of that is like interesting questions around what do you do with your business model and what do you do with all these things. But, but I like, I'm just so excited by the team that we've built and like, they are the experts in building the best human computer relationships that we have today with the technology. And if the assumption is the technology is just going to get better, well, let's, let's do it our way. Let's not do it in the way that, you know, has all this dogma around the birth of the internet or the birth of operating systems. And, I even think Kevin Kelly has like a really good um, viewpoint on this when he talks about, you know, freedom of choice. He, he uses, I'm going to butcher the analogy, but he's like, well, when it, you know, if it rains, uh, you can kind of assume that the water and raindrop lands on the hill, it's going to go downwards, right? Mm-hmm. But that specific path of that raindrop is sort of, it's, it's, there's some element of like randomness in there. Is it, and then he makes the point about, is it, is the internet open or closed? Is um, it free or ad based? And I just think that with this next epoch or era and all this new power that we have with, with computing, it's, we, we have to make new decisions around the ways that we build this technology. Cause I think it'll unlock a lot of humans and their potential. And, you know, th- this is my, <laughs> you know, whether, this is my lifelong work. You know, I'm going to keep doing this stuff until the, the, the day that I die. And it's nice that there's these precursor events of yeah. the robots and, the, you know, the ATAPs and the computer games and stuff like that. And it's going to be a long road, but I think we're, we're really excited with where it could end up. And that, that idea of, well, what, what will actually, if, if this actually happens, like what now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ross, you have, uh, you have, you have forced me to, to paint a picture in my mind that I don't know what to think of right now. Um, and I, and I hope that for the listeners out there, um, you've done the same, like this is, this is heady stuff. And, uh, well, we're in, we're in new territory. We're definitely in new territory. I'll I'll get off my soapbox. Yeah. Ross, what is the, what is the best way for, for listeners who want to find out more about Maslow or find out more about you? What's the best way to get in touch? Um, you know, I'm Maslow's Maslow, M-A-S-L-O dot A-I. Um, give us some information there. We also have a bunch of code and stuff on our GitHub for folks to check out. Um, I'm on Twitter at Ross Ingram. Um, we have a Twitter handle for Maslow too, but yeah, just, Email us, reach out. Um, I also work a lot with, um, I like to call it this new generation of founders, um, people who are building companies that have a strong um, philosophy and their their brand and their sort of human source values. And like we, we talk about fundraising, about you know all that stuff. So happy to chat with folks and share any of my perspective. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take you up on that. Ross, thank you so much for coming on. This is, uh, this is awesome. Um, I'm, you know, I'm proud of you, man. This is good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is, this is great. And thanks. Uh, yeah. Man, thanks yeah. for having me. I mean, a lot of, uh, I, I think I said this earlier, but I don't think you fully know how much, you know, even the work that we did and the things that you taught me, like had an impact and uh, in sort of my direction in life and, you know, I just want to be a good steward of the other people's visions and dreams and, you know, the, the stuff that we, we started to talk about and build, you know, early in our relationship. And it's, and it's, it's part of the, the stakes, the foundation, the, that stuff. So, yeah. I mean, thank you. Well, really appreciate thanks. It. I, I appreciate that, Ross. I'm, it's very nice to hear. I'm, I'm touched. Yeah. 
Um, listeners, I, this is the type of stuff we're talking about. And so it might, you know, on the surface seem like, you know, a big kind of tactical marketing um, podcast, but, but marketing is, is, is only the surface. Uh, we speak a new language these days, and I think that language is, is you know, all about direct-to-consumer, direct-to-one-another. You know, it, it, it's, we're all connected, and we're all, we're all kind of now using this technology to, to communicate in, in a way that maybe we didn't, we didn't use in the past. And, and the podcast is really designed to bring on folks who are using technology in new ways and building audience and, more importantly, building relationships. And that's what this is. That's what this is all about. You've been listening to DTC Growth Hacking, presented by Field Test. My name's Rob McGray. The podcast is engineered and edited by Garrett Griebel. And our guest today, Ross Ingram. Thank you, Ross. Thanks so much. This was a Field Test podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.